welcome to Taking the Middle Seat, a podcast where we explore connection where you might not think it exists. I'm your host, Andrea. I'm a therapist and connector living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I've always believed that one of the most important things we can do as a human is sit next to someone and really take in their story. So every couple of weeks or so, I'm taking the middle seat right here on this podcast. I listen to someone tell their story because I know that the middle seat holds healing and connection and community if we stay open and remember that we belong to each other. I hope you listen into each and every episode and that you'll find yourself moving in to hear the magic in the middle seat. On this episode, episode 46, I'm talking to Dr. Marcy Larson. She hosts the podcast, Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Marcy is an absolute powerhouse. She's a caregiver and pediatrician. She's a truth teller and a connector. We talk a lot about grief and loss, and I'm telling you that right up front because I hope that if you need this conversation right now, it's here for you. If you need to listen in bits and pieces, that's that's okay too. If you can only read the show notes right now, that's okay as well. So do this episode however you want. I find that Marcy's story and work is so needed and reaches those suffering losses right now. Those who will experience loss in the future, which is all of us, and those looking to figure out how to care for people who are grieving in their lives. Marcy and I talk about her son, Andy, who was killed in a car accident in August of 2018. And as she navigated in the minutes and days and months after her son's death, she was looking for a podcast that could speak to her grief and found there wasn't really anything out there. So she started one herself. Her story and the stories of those on her podcast are powerful, you guys. She interviews specialists in the area of grief. Um, She interviews moms, dads, friends, just humans who all talk about aspects of their own grief. I love how Marcy gives listeners permission to cry, to ask for help, to see joy again, and to care for others in the depths of grief. You will want to listen for Marcy's story about Andy's drawing. I won't say any more than that because you'll want to experience it for yourself. So are you ready, my dear listeners? I want you to care for yourself as you listen and take in all the love and learning you can from this amazing human, Dr. Marcy Larson. So Marcy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So I will have told listeners a little bit about your story and why you're here, but let's start with just kind of an intro, like who you are, a little bit about your family, whatever you want to share kind of beginning wise, and then we'll get into the longer story. Yeah, so I'm Marcy Larson. I am a pediatrician. I haven't been working recently, actually, but I am with Forest Hills Pediatrics here in Grand Rapids. Um, We moved to Grand Rapids uh, right out of our residency. So this is our kind of our first job. So my husband's an anesthesiologist, and I'm a pediatrician. We moved from Iowa. Okay. um, When my second son, Andy, was just six weeks old. So this is really the only home that he knew. Um, And then I have... Uh, so I have three children now, biological children, and one foster son. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our life was going on pretty pretty much on cruise control, it seemed. I mean, yeah. everything... I, I had some struggles growing up. My mom was... My, both my parents were sick with cancer, actually, and my mom passed away when I was in college. So it was kind of tough. Yeah. And I kind of thought my tough times were over. And yeah. I was through that. Yeah. And... I was just going to have a pretty good life now. Yep. And then, you know, in August of last year that my son was killed in a car accident. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, then everything changed. Sure. Sure. Um, and things that seemed important weren't as important. And and just your whole world is just rocked, actually. Yeah. You know, I, I felt like I knew grief. I felt like sure. I understood grief. Yeah. But I really didn't have a clue because this yeah. is so different and so deep. Yeah. You know, I've I've heard since this all happened that when you lose your parents, you lose your past. When you lose your spouse, you lose your present. Mm-hmm. When you lose your children, you lose your future. Yeah. And that is really like what it, it feels like. true. Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just a hollowness. Yes. That's there. Yeah. 
And so that's, you know, been my struggle really for the last now 13 months, 14 months actually, has been trying to just slowly, slowly heal. And, um, and I, you know, as I'm trying to heal and trying to do this, I get help from other people. Mm -hmm. So I went to a support group, Starlight Ministries, which is a fantastic support group, met some other wonderful parents Mm -hmm. um, and bonded with them. And then, um, and then I thought, you know, I'm going to start reading some books. Mm-hmm. kind of learning more about this. I, I couldn't do that for several months. I couldn't read anything. I just sure. couldn't even focus hardly. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, you know, I think I'm going to listen to a podcast on parental grief. There's podcasts on everything. Right. It does seem right? like there's every like tiny everything. thing. And, um, and I started looking, and there wasn't one at all. There was nothing. And then my husband thought, you're crazy. Right. There's a podcast for everything. <laughs> yes. And so he started looking and he's like, yeah, you're right. There really isn't one. And I just felt like maybe this was my calling. Mm-hmm. Like this was what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that um, it could maybe give me a little bit of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, going through that loss, that was a huge thing. I lost Andy, but I also lost my sense of purpose. Yeah. And my sense of who I was. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about being able to help other people Mm -hmm. because that's what I've always done yeah sure right I'm a pediatrician I that is my heart my heart is for helping Mm -hmm. children helping families Mm -hmm. and then going through this kind of devastating loss I thought I think I can help families in a different way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and help people try to get through and move on yeah um and so that's what I kind of started yeah. just about a month ago, and it's been going really well. It sounds like it has certainly filled a niche. Like yeah. you feel like this was needed because I know you told me one story already about someone that you just like you know came across that. But it sounds like that's been repeated many, many times, mm-hmm. um, and people have been reaching out to you right yeah. to be on the podcast and all yeah. this stuff. So. Just like, I have no idea how I came across this. Yeah. You know, I one woman right. I have no idea how I came across this. Maybe our boys met in heaven. And it's fantastic. And yeah. someone else reached out and her son had died at that point, 40 days before. And she said, after I listened to your episode, I could get out of bed. Oh, my gosh. And, and that's huge for yeah. me. I mean, that's, that's what you is. want. If you can give somebody enough hope. Mm-hmm. To get out of bed. Yeah. That's sometimes all you can do. For sure. And yeah. sometimes that's... And, and that can be enough. Yeah. And I think people need to know that if that's all you can do mm-hmm. is just get out of bed that day, that's enough. Yeah. You survived. Yeah. I know you and your... So I listened... I li- I've listened to all your episodes, but I've the first one where you and your husband talk mm-hmm. in detail about your story... Um, I've now listened to it twice because it, I'm not a person that has experienced loss, certainly not a loss of a child, but it has taught me so much. I mean, you have so many things packed in that one episode of, I think, the, the adjacent people to grief can learn from mm-hmm. um, and things that, I don't know if surprise me is the right way, but the way that you and your husband talked about it, I'm just like, oh, yes, like just kind of eye-opening mm-hmm. things. Um and one of those was that the the kind of the moment to moment of it right after it, the loss happens that it's it could be a second to second initially mm-hmm. then it's a minute to minute then it yeah. might be a day to day and maybe now it's a week to week kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. and as the adjacent people having to understand that right yeah. Yeah. so that was i don't know that was huge for me to Think about people when I'm trying to support them. I'm a social worker, so trying to support them through that and understand that, like, there might not be any connecting thread for you initially from moment to moment. Like, you're just literally trying to function. Right. One second. And, to the next. and I know just in those early days, even thinking about next week mm-hmm. was so overwhelming. You just couldn't. Yeah. And um, that that's why especially when people would talk about oh it took me years before I felt normal again that is the scariest thing you could ever hear 
right away as a Wasn't there a woman that's had like nine, nine years, years or something? Yeah. She said nine years. Like, I felt oh, normal in well, nine years. And I thought, I'm going to pack well, it in right now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It just makes made me want to give up. Yeah. I just thought, I cannot feel this bad yeah. for nine years. Yeah. And and I think in actuality, she didn't feel that bad for nine years. Yeah. She just didn't feel like herself for nine years. Yeah. And there's a big difference that way. It was, yeah. You, you do, when you look back, when I even look back, to, you know, uh, last week or last month, I can see some progress that has been made. Yeah. But when you look back just a day, yeah. then you think, I'm really not much different. Yeah. And and that's what's hard, too, looking into the future, especially at the beginning, because you know tomorrow's not going to be any better than today. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. But it, except when you go to next week and you think, okay, maybe actually this week is a little bit better than last week. Yeah. Just have to measure it in such different amounts of time, you know? Are there ways that you purposefully build that in to try to like okay today I need to consciously think about what life looked like a month ago so that I can consciously like make a point Mm -hmm. to compare that because I could also see it's really easy to just not consciously remember that and then you're just like it's not changing you know yeah and then you feel stuck yeah and there are a lot of moms that I've met that do feel stuck yeah and I think there are a lot of moms I met that have that are stuck, yeah. and I feel awful about that. But I, I, I think you're absolutely right to take that moment and really look back mm-hmm. is so important mm-hmm. because even those people, those moms and dads that may say they are stuck mm-hmm. or feel stuck, even they can. A lot of times if you say, okay, I want you to really think about mm-hmm. what things were like three months ago. Mm-hmm. And and then if you really evaluate it, then you probably are going to be able to come up with some things that are better. And yeah. if you can't, it, it's probably a sense that you need some professional help too. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yes. Um, because you should be able to make little bits of progress, even if it feels really, really gradual. Yeah. And the people that are in your life, like I'm I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, you and your husband can't always be that like mirror for each other because you're both in the same, you know, right. mire of grief. So you do need those outside professional sometimes or mm-hmm. support people that have been through the same type of thing or whatever that can kind of reflect that back to you. And everyone grieves differently. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the number of marriages that are broken up after the death of a child it's really high and i think the big reason is is that people grieve differently yeah and dads men and women can grieve a little differently but really even on an individual basis sure people just grieve differently yeah and to be able to give your family Mm -hmm. to know that just because i am grieving this way Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that's the right way Mm -hmm. or the only way Mm -hmm. it's just my way Mm um it's just so so it's so hard yeah but so important yeah for sure i know one of the other things kind of on that topic that your um you and your husband mentioned were kind of the primary emotions that you both felt um, that were different that maybe surprised you. Like your husband said that fear mm-hmm. has been so big for him. And that that had not occurred to me, but it made a ton of sense when he was talking about it, that you that the fear was just overwhelming. The fear yeah. of your life never changing, your fear of it always changing. The fear, you know, like I, the fear was overwhelming him. That was just so and you clear don't, to me. And you don't guess that. No. I mean, I think about that all the time. I'm going to have an episode not too far down the road, that we just talk about the anxiety. Sure. The anxiety after death, because it is not what you think. No. I, I, you understand the sadness. You understand that really overwhelming kind of depression feeling. But the worry and the anxiety mm-hmm. is not something you'd guess. Yeah. I mean, it's not something I would have ever guessed. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, like, then you think, oh, of course that's, because it mm-hmm. rocks your world so much, then you can't, you feel like you can't really depend on anything mm-hmm. to be steady oh right yeah. right yes. i think about you know even my son peter now he is really hyper focused on getting all perfect grades in school yeah. and things now and i think it's because it's something he feels like he can absolutely control sure 
because there are a lot of things that you can't that just come out of the blue Mm -hmm. and you know on one second you're on your way to a Whitecaps baseball game and the next second you know your brother is lying dead beside you yeah yeah there's no you way just, to anticipate that. No, no way to anticipate yeah. it. No way to anticipate it at all. So. Yeah. Well, and then the ang- one of the emotions you were, or you were both talking about was that you had a lot of anger. I did. Yeah, I did. Which I think is another one that mm-hmm. people don't necessarily anticipate. Um, so talk a little bit about that. And yeah. Yeah. And, and my husband and I felt that differently. He wasn't as angry Although he would get angry just, he would get angry for Andy. And angry that Andy wasn't going to get to do the thing. Yeah, sure. He wanted, but, you know, I had different anger. I had, you know, an anger towards the person that hit us on the highway. Yeah. I had anger at God for letting this happen. Mm -hmm. I had anger, I mean, just just anger. And then I would be angry at myself for different things for you know and so much second guessing and only phonies and i should have done this and and then yeah the anger is just was overwhelming and so not a part of me yeah i'm just not an angry person yeah i, I mean i think that i'm a pediatrician and I'm pediatricians a pedi- aren't angry people it they was like, are it's not I true mean, really do you're like the like, nicest people <laughs> the most flexible <laughs> Able to answer phone calls from crazy people in the middle of the night. Yes. You just can't be an angry pediatrician. <laughs> no, you can't. So that was so hard for me. Yeah. And it was really, really important for me to be able to let go of that. Yeah. Um, and, and I was able to let go of it finally once and for all at our, we had a court date. Okay. Uh, for the sentencing. And, um, you know, I read a very long statement and... And um, went over some of my thoughts of anger that I had had in the past. And, you know, and then the woman had a statement. She was extremely remorseful. And and, um, and that was really great for me. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad. Because I remember my husband saying to me, because I said, I just need her to be sorry. And that's, I, I would say that all over and over again. I just need her to be sorry. Yeah. Like, if she's not sorry, I don't know how I can forgive her. Yeah. And... And he and other people would say to me, you know, you need to, what if she's not sorry? Yeah. If she's not sorry, you still have to find a way to forgive. And I thought, well, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it because I need her to be sorry. Yeah. And as soon as she was and yeah. showed just that remorse and that, I mean, she would have traded her life for his last yeah. second. Ugh. And as soon as that happened, I was able to let it all go. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that day in the courtroom, I mean, I hugged her at the end. Yeah. Because, you know, she didn't mean to do it, honestly. And and I wasn't happy being an angry person. Mm-hmm. I wasn't me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it wasn't good for my family. It wasn't good for any of us. Mm-hmm. So I needed to get back to me. And that was huge to be able to do that and let go of that but you know that court process took close to a year which is just like trauma after trauma after trauma you know when i remember them saying well this could take three four months and i was like three or four months how could it take three or four months this is cut and dry everyone knows you know we had a million witnesses whatever and um and that it wasn't even close it was like ten and a half months so bananas it is kind of bananas yeah and I'm thinking too about those poor you know, families who go through murder trials and things yeah. like that, where it was actual parole hearings and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, and where it was purposeful. Yeah, right. I mean, this was obviously her fault. You know, she did a lot of hours of community service and lost her driver's license and all of that. But it wasn't purposeful. Right. She didn't mean to do it. Yeah. So to go through that process where someone actually meant harm to mm-hmm. your child would be, I'm sure, a thousand times worse even, or yeah. at least quite different. Yeah. Well, it just speaks to how different every single experience is. Mm-hmm. Like you, I think, started the talk to speak to people that have lost like kids that still lived at home. Like it's a different mm-hmm. experience to be in a 50-year-old parent and lose your 25-year-old kid. Well, my next week I will, uh, that's in her 30s. So, yeah. yeah. 
that child. And and I've had yeah. people say, you know, I really would like it if you would address that, address mm-hmm. losing a child as an adult. And, you know, interestingly, initially when I went to those support groups, that is, it's mixed age. So yeah. there are people in their 50s who lost children in their 40s. People in their 60s lost children in their 40s, you mm-hmm. know. But, um, and then us, the rest of the lost kids. Mm-hmm. And we did tend to bond a little more closely mm-hmm. just because of that. But... I um, initially would found myself really jealous. Yeah. Like, yeah. you had him 40 years. Mm-hmm. I had my son 14. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. This is not the same. But then you start thinking about it and from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And I have seen many moms now have to deal with their old daughter-in-law or son-in-law now dating. Yeah, sure. Getting remarried. Um, losing the ability to be able to see their grandchildren. Yeah. Um, I think about, you know, when Andy died, I obviously planned his funeral. We got to plan his funeral. We got to know where he went in the cemetery. All of those things. All those decisions when you're a parent and your child is married. Yeah. They're out of your control. Yeah, that's so true. Yes. I mean, there was this in support group and her daughter had been cremated and which just like devastated her she was just crushed by this could hardly let go of it yeah and it it, it just was such a shame I just felt so badly for her yeah but I think back even to my own mother when she died she had wanted to be cremated but against it it must be a generational thing a little bit (laughs) and so my grandmother was like no you are not going to be cremated Mm -hmm. and so my mom chose not to ahead of time okay. i mean she yeah. knew she was dying yeah. so it was helpful to be able to plan some of that stuff ahead of time yeah. but you know had we had she not had that conversation with her mom you know my grandmother would have had that same struggle i'm yep. sure yeah and this yeah. way it was something we could take away but you know that woman mm-hmm. it, it, it was huge for her and yeah. and even a different one like uh, she wasn't Buried at the cemetery, which I where I would have picked. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. A lot of those choices you just have taken away. Yeah, it just speaks can't. to like how loss is kind of universal, yeah, but also so specific, right? At the same time, like it's there's kind of high level emotions that probably run the, the mm-hmm. kind of similar, but then the the circumstances can make it so unique mm-hmm. and different. Um, you talk a lot about too like what what is kind of helpful and what is really not helpful mm-hmm. <laughs> afterward and not to be punitive to any people or <laughs> no, specific communities or anything but I think it is super helpful for people to hear what is really great and what is maybe not the best thing to do mm-hmm. um, if you're trying to be supportive um, and I think start with um, if you don't mind like you clearly have a faith mm-hmm. that is really important to you right is there particular parts of like being part of a faith community that was really helpful? Mm-hmm. Um, and other parts, I know you've spoken to things that people have said to you with regard to faith that were hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. at the time. Yeah, I mean, my church community was amazing. Yeah, our pastors were amazing. I mean, they were there that night. My the assistant pastor at our church had to tell my daughter because mm-hmm. she was home Gosh. by herself, and so he did that, and it was amazing but i do have other friends who are you know devout christians who would say things very early on like about how this will bring people to faith or something and that just ticked me off like sure it is not worth it yeah i don't care no i don't care about your you know, cousins, sisters, whatever that might be brought to faith because my auntie died because that's not worth it to me. Yes. And there's another way. Yeah. There was another way to get that person to faith that didn't involve my son dying. Yeah. And so those things were really hard. And people even praying like, oh, I hope the funeral will, will help show the glory of God. I mean, not that I didn't want that. Right. I, but that... Honestly, that's just wasn't what I was thinking about at the right. time. Sure, yeah. And it just bothered me a little too much um, when that ended up being the focus. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, now I can say I hope 
that what we were able to do at Andy's funeral did help the faith of other people. Sure. I do hope that. But at the time, please don't say that to someone. Yeah. Because in the midst of when you're feeling all that pain and all that hurt, um, it's not worth it. Yeah. The loss of my son is not worth no. anything. No. I would yeah. not. So to try to paint something a little more rose-colored yeah not good yes you know and and just actually just a couple months ago my son went in to have some my son peter went in to have some blood work done and he just was getting his blood drawn at helen devos and the phlebotomist was very nice and and you could tell she's she has to do kids a lot Mm -hmm. and so she ends up getting chatty Mm -hmm. just to try to calm them down and get them relaxed sure right and so she's asking what grade in school he's in and asking all that stuff and then she said how many brothers and sisters do you have which is such a loaded question i mean i always say how many children do you have because how do you answer that yes um and peter just said i have a sister Uh because we don't need to go into it with the phlebotomist right she doesn't need to know no we don't need to do any of that. Well, she came back back with, well, you don't sound happy about that. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure she thought he didn't get along with his sister. Yeah. Because that is like, would be a normal thing for a 13-year-old to come in mm-hmm. and be not liking their sister. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, that's not it at all. Right. Now Peter starts to cry. Sure. So now Peter's crying. She's there drawing blood, wondering why in the world this kid is crying. And then I felt like, well, I have to kind of explain why he's crying. Right. And I said, well, he had a brother. He was killed last year in a car accident. Uh-huh. And I thought, we're just going to let it go there. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry, which I always do. Everyone feels terrible, like they shouldn't have brought it up. And then she had this very long, awkward kind of pause and was finishing up with Peter. And then she said, well, you have to look on the bright side. Oh, no. Yep. No, you don't. <laughs> and I thought, there isn't one. <laughs> what exactly is the bright side here? I don't really see a bright side. My brother was killed in front of me. There's not a bright side there. But she just didn't know what to say. Yeah. So, and I just said nothing. Yeah. I just let it go. Because um, what is there to say? Right. I'm not going to say, there is no bright side. Or make her feel even worse. Right. Because she clearly just did not know what to say. And then that just came out of her mouth. Yeah. So... I think that's what people instinctively want to do, though, Mm -hmm. is they want to say something that's going to make you feel a little bit better. Yes. And when you are dealing with someone who is deep in grief, you don't need to do that. Yeah. It's actually more helpful to say, I'm so sorry to hear that. That must really stink. That sucks. Yeah. Um, Those type of comments, much more helpful because it just shows you have empathy. Yeah. But you're not trying to fix it. She wasn't going to fix our family. Right. And just a different comment of saying, I'm so sorry, buddy. Yeah. Yes. That would have been all she needed to say and then just let it go. Yeah. Um, And I think just being okay with people not being okay. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And and that that is just so so important yeah. to just be all right with that yeah you know i think of even people friends and family i have that are constantly trying to cheer me up please don't try to cheer me up yeah i'm sad mm-hmm. i know i'm sad i understand i'm not quite the same person that i used to be mm-hmm. i can still laugh and have fun and do fun things mm-hmm. i can still do that but if i say something sad just acknowledge yeah that's awful yeah that yes. must be really hard and not Try to turn it over and get a bright side to it. Yeah. Because that's not what I need to hear. Mm-hmm. You know? And it makes it about the other person. It's clearly about the other person needing to like, oh, I feel I some kind of way, so I need to feel my, <laughs> really myself feel better, or I need to fill the silence, or I need to whatever, rather than really being thoughtful yeah, of you. Right. I mean, yeah. And I mean, it's just changed my whole perspective on sure. everything, all of this. Yeah. You know, I just, I think about things in a much different way. Um, I think when I start going back to work here in a, just a couple of weeks, it, it will be in a different way. Sure. Because, I mean, I just, I understand suffering in a way I never have before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I can appreciate that mm-hmm. with people. And, and it doesn't matter what your suffering is Mm -hmm. in some ways you know i have 
an acquaintance that was is going through a divorce and a friend and I handled that differently than I ever would have before. Yeah, sure. You know, I said to her, I, I it's the first time I'd seen her since I'd found out, and I said, how are you doing? And she said, okay, or good, or something like that. And I yeah. just turned around and I said, liar. Yeah, yes, yes. And then, and then she laughed a little bit, and I said, I know you're lying. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You're not okay. Mm-hmm. Because... Culturally, you're just supposed to say good or yes. say okay or say whatever. Yeah. And that's really not what I that's not what I was asking. Yeah. Because I am really okay with her saying this sucks. Yeah. My husband just left me. Yeah. Out this of the is blue. Terrible. This is terrible. Yes. Yeah. And then she was able to say, "Yeah, I'm terrible." Yeah. Well, and how wonderful for her cuz then you can immediately sense each other like, "Oh, she knows. She yeah. knows. She's one of Right, of, and I'm like, and I'm terrible too. Yep. And that's that's fine. It is what it is, yes. And we're both out here doing this today and doing, yep. you know, and out in public and doing stuff. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, to me, you don't have to say you're okay when I know you're not. Yeah. It makes me think of two podcasts that I don't know if you have listened to, but I will link in the show notes. One is called Terrible Thanks for Asking. Oh, you yeah. listen to that? I know oh, that my gosh. So yeah. good. She is. So this, she had a great TED Talk that yes. I love. Oh, love. she's yeah. fabulous. So if other people don't know, that it's the, the, that is the answer to the question of, like, how are you doing? And it's the honest answer of, like, terrible. I'm yeah. doing terrible because of whatever. Um, and the other one, Everything Happens. I don't know that one. I forget the name of the woman that does it. I will put it in the show notes. Um, but she had a, has a terminal diagnosis of brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And she has a little child. And she's married, whatever. But she's young. And she is in seminary somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, she may have graduated by this time. But she it was the kind of everything happens for a reason that she would constantly get um, said to her. Like, uh-huh. you know, all oh, yeah, things yeah, yeah. work together yeah. for good, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, and of course, like just how awful that feels to be constantly oh, told that like, yeah. well, what really, what a gift this is yeah. to, you know, because of all these wonderful things that are going to come out of it, just like you were talking about it. Um, so her whole podcast is that it's just, everything happens. Just, well, I have a, I have a friend who was recently diagnosed with, um, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was starting to undergo treatment and, and we were talking a little bit and she wrote back. Well, my Baptist husband would say, mm-hmm. this is all in God's plan. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, this bereaved mother would say, sometimes God's plan sucks. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm not saying it's not, right? Yeah. And I know, like like I've said, like you've said, my faith is very important to me. Mm-hmm. I know that God knew that Andy was going to die. Yeah. I know that. I, I also don't think God made Andy die. Yeah. But there's a difference, whether mm-hmm. knowing something's going to happen or making something happen. So, like, I think it is okay. It is not being a bad Christian to say, I feel like this plan sucks. Yeah. Because and from my perspective, it really does right now. Yeah. And it, it, anyway, I think it was helpful to her. Yeah. Because I think she felt like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to say. Yes. I'm supposed to say, this is all the plan. This yeah. is all, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Right. That's another one that just stinks. Because if you feel like you're not handling it well, yeah. then you think, well, I'm not good enough then. Right. I'm not I'm measuring not, up to. I'm not measuring up to what yes. I should be. Yes. Like, that's a that's a kind of, that's a really dumb thing to say. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that's a need, bad thing yes. to say. I love it. Because people, this is what people need to hear. Lots of things you say that people <laughs> need to hear. But I think these things that are just so kind of flippantly said and they I'm sure and it's all well all intentioned said with absolutely such well great intentions yeah I think it's absolutely just not flippant but automatic I think I maybe. actually felt like the best responses were when people said to me I have no words for you yes that was actually the best because yeah. you know what you don't yeah you don't have any words for me I don't have any words for me right I don't know what to say to myself yeah I don't want you to ever understand or yeah. when people say I can't even imagine Good. Yeah. I'm glad you can't, and I never want you to be able to. Yeah. Yes. But if you say, I can imagine how you feel, then you're like, eh, yeah, yeah, probably not. Probably not. No. Mm. Probably not. Yeah. Yes. Well, there are questions that I ask at the end, but I think before we get to that, can you tell the story about Andy? You can say anything you want about Andy, um, but the story about his drawing. Yeah. Because, yeah. ugh. 
It's a powerful story. It is a powerful story. Yeah. So when Andy was seven, about seven, we were, I was picking him up from school um, and his brother and sister. So we're all in our little minivan. Mm-hmm. And um, we got, and she, the whole time he was talking about how he drew this picture of his family. Mm-hmm. So they had to draw a picture of the family. And, you know, it's got the sun up in the corner and the little tree and sure. all of that. Just, you know, picture the seven-year-old family portrait yes <laughs> and um and he was so excited to show me so which is another andy thing andy was always so excited to do anything that mm. was like his favorite expression <laughs> i'm so excited so um anyway I pull into the garage i get around i go unbuckle him like from his car seat and he whips open this picture unrolls it mm-hmm. and thrusts it to me and i look at it and i said oh that's great andy but there are only four people in the picture. Mm-hmm. And at the time we were a family of five. It was before we had our foster son, Valeriano. Mm-hmm. And I said, who's in the picture? Because I'm thinking, he forgot his sister. He forgot his brother. Right. Who the heck did he forget? Uh-huh. Right? And I'm kind of almost miffed at him for forgetting somebody right. in the family. Sure. Yes. Like, Who does he like picture? today? Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Who's he mad at? Uh-huh. And, he, and his response was, Mom, that, that's you and Dad and Katie and Peter. And I said, well, Andy, where are you? And he said, oh, Mommy, I'm in heaven. Mm. I'm not going to grow up all the way. Mm. And the way he said, I'm not going to grow up all the way, is exactly what happened. Yeah. Because he was 14 years old, partway grown up, yeah, but certainly not all the way. Yeah. And on the day Andy died, I mean, Eric and I talked about it, but even immediately after... He showed me that picture. I cried out in my mind to God, oh, please, God, no, please, God, no, please, God, no. Because he said it so matter-of-factly that it was so, he seemed so certain. Yeah. And he was totally fine with it. He was not at all sad about the fact that he wasn't going to be there, that he was going to be in heaven. It was just the way it was. And it just, he was so sure that I actually really feared it was true. Yeah. Yeah. And so when he did die, it was one of the very first things I thought of. And one of the very first things Eric thought of was that darn picture. Yeah. Which I proceeded to throw away quite quickly because I didn't want to even think about it. No. Well, you can't even wrap your head around that actually happening, I'm sure. Although I have to say, I believed it enough that I told several of my friends because I was so bothered by it. Yeah. And it seemed so real. So, um... We did. I told that story at the funeral, and there were, you know, at least five or so people that remembered. Yes. When I mentioned it. And so it was kind of nice, actually, in hindsight, that I had told several people Mm -hmm. because then it wasn't like, oh, she just made that up. (laughs) Oh, good mercy. (laughs) Yeah, like crazy woman. Like, I am just trying to bring people to faith or something right. during the funeral. But it was, I mean, it had really genuinely happened. And I yeah. had a lot of, like, witnesses <laughs> know that that had happened. Yeah. And, and so that's how I can say in my mind that God knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Because he gave, gave Andy a little glimpse that it was going to happen. Yeah. And he gave me that glimpse mm-hmm. that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that Andy was going to be fine with it. Yeah. And even though I... I'm totally not fine with it. Yes. <laughs> Andy's fine with it. Yeah. And yeah. it was it was in the sucky plan. Yeah. <laughs> the plan. Whatever. The plan that I'm yes. not totally enjoying you now. Did not sign off on. No. But yes. you know you know, I say that 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 God's plan stinks. Yeah. <laughs> and and I certainly can feel that way. But I also feel like this what I am am able to do mm-hmm. to start to help other people yeah is really important yeah and without Andy's death wouldn't have done this yeah wouldn't have been able to reach out and start to help other people and yeah. help that woman get out of bed the other day yeah yeah you know so it's hard to think it because yeah. in my mind it's not worth it right you know, we were talking about how um, an oyster makes a pearl. Mm-hmm. And the way the oyster makes a pearl is when they're damaged, right? The oyster has to be hurt mm-hmm. in order to make that beautiful pearl. Mm-hmm. 
and I was saying to someone the other day, I would have been a much happier oyster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Having never been injured. Yeah. Yeah. But since I was injured, mm-hmm. I am going to go forward and show the world that pearl. Yeah. 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 Oh, thank you for telling that story. Yeah. I know you tell it a lot, but I just really appreciate the, like, the effort and the sincerity and the vulnerability that it takes to just tell all the stories. And oh. I just really, really appreciate oh, thank that. Thank you so much. Um, so I do have some questions at the end. Oh, one more thing I want to not for put at the very end is at the end of all of your episodes, I think all your episodes, right? You put Andy singing. Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. So I want people to particularly listen to all the way to the end of the episodes and yeah. listen to that because it, it is quite something. My yeah. Goodness. He, yeah, he sang for the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys. Yeah. They're actually going to do um, memorial concerts for him every other year starting this next March. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's awesome. Because yeah. I think sometimes people tap out in those episodes. And, like, I know. Stay, stay in stay there to the end. very, very yes, end. Because it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. So um, the first question that I ask people is how to create more genuine connection. And we've been kind of talking about that this whole time. But are there any particular things that come to mind when I say, like... I think people are always searching for that kind of more connection, genuine connection, and they don't always know how to do that. Yeah. Um, what are thoughts about that? Yeah, that's that's hard because I certainly don't want people to have to experience what I had to yeah. experience in order to do that. Absolutely. Because I do feel like I have much more genuine connections with people now than I ever did before. Yeah. Oh, I just think about things differently. I am a better person. Yeah. And and. Pretty much every bereaved parent I've talked to will say, once they're out a little bit, yeah, will say, I am a better person. And I know I am. And it's not worth it. Yeah. Sure. Not going to exchange my child for me being a better person, but you always feel like you are. So, and, and I think even just trying to put yourself in other people's shoes a little bit yeah. and think about things from their perspective a little bit more mm-hmm. um, is is really valuable and mm-hmm. I think that can help with your connectedness a little bit yeah yeah I wonder too and again you can correct me if I'm wrong but I think folks that have been through something mm-hmm. kind of can cut through the like the BS quicker yes. like you can get deeper faster uh-huh. because it's just not worth it to like mess around you know like no. you just no. want to like get to the connection without all the the fluff and the hang-ups because like you like you said you don't know what's going to happen in the next moment so you might as well get to the deep stuff quickly well and that's what matters yeah you know i th- i think about going back to work and how some of my colleagues were like well i'm sure you're never going to want to see teenagers with anxiety and depression again yeah right or you're never going to want to do this again and i looked at them like what do you think i care about yeah that's what i care about yeah i mean sure. if i think about I, I couldn't have really done anything to prevent Andy's death. I couldn't. Yeah. But you think about kids that are lost to suicide or mm-hmm. drug overdose or some of those type of struggles where mm-hmm. they've had real emotional struggles. Well, those are things that hopefully we can deal with before it gets to the point of yeah. them dying, right? Yeah. So it's seeing kids with anxiety and depression, that's Honestly, that's really on my heart now because mm-hmm. I don't want another family to have to deal with this and go through this. Yeah, yeah, get that. Absolutely. Um, what are or are there spaces or like types of people that make you at this point in your life feel completely seen and heard? Um, or if those don't exist, that's okay too. No, I I feel like when I go to some of the support groups that I'm in, yeah, I'm in a women's grieving women's book club, uh-huh. <laughs> which it's so funny. You don't think that like well that'd be a fun place to hang out. Well, yep. <laughs> I, but I do feel like I really do get those women, yeah, and that is a nice thing to do. I you know I we have another couple that we're gonna do uh, like game night <laughs> with grieving parent game night, mm-hmm. and. Which again, just not a sexy title. Fun. I mean, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> and and I talked to a family out in Portage, and they're like, "Yeah, we'd totally be up for a game night." Because the thing is, is when you go like to hang out with other people mm-hmm. and your friend, they don't know how to treat you anymore. Yeah, they don't know what to do. Well, we can't bring them up. We can't not bring them up. What do we do? And they're so awkward. Mm-hmm. But if you hang out with other grieving families, yeah, well, 
they all know. Yeah. I want to talk about Andy. I totally do. I love talking about yeah. Andy. You know, this other family, they have their daughter Willow died two days before Andy. So we talk about Andy, we talk about Willow. We just talk about them. Sure. And now we can go have a game night and we can talk about them and no one's going to feel weird. Yeah. And no one's going to think that's odd. Yeah. So, um, anyway, that, yeah. I guess that I really feel like that. And I, I feel bad. That I, it's not like I don't want to hang out with other people. Right. It just, it takes a lot. And we've got some other really close friends that are now starting to feel better. Yeah. But for a while, I think they didn't know what to do. Yeah. Well, and I know you've said you kind of have to teach people mm-hmm. to, to how to deal with you. Yeah. And which I'm sure has its own level of kind of exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> and taxing nature to it to constantly. And yeah, because it's it hard to have to put grieving people in the role of an educator. Yeah. But you kind of have to be. Yeah. Because there isn't a lot out there. Although there's getting to be more. Good. I feel like, you know, the New York Times just had an article on grief this week, mm-hmm. which I was just happy to see. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it's not quite as taboo maybe mm-hmm. as it used to be. So well, that's good. I hope. My yeah, goodness. I hope so too. Um, if someone saw your list of titles, so you're a doctor, oh, you're a I mom, know. you're a, those kinds of things. I mean, obviously, they're probably missing, like, grieving parent is not going to be on that list. No. But is there other things that they're missing about you, getting wrong about you, like, might assume that it's not correct? You know, it's funny that you say that because I um, I have thought a lot about my identity mm-hmm. as I have lost Andy mm-hmm. and how I felt like I lost it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because I felt like my identity was as a... Um, pediatrician mm-hmm. mother of three mm-hmm. kind of four because I have a foster son but he's a little older too so you know it's but those were those are were it really my big things and wife and whatever but now I started thinking about it more and more and my true identity which would never be on somebody's list mm-hmm. but I am a caregiver yeah and that is what I want to have at the top of my list yeah and that's what I want people to think of me as. Mm-hmm. So whether I'm doing that as a pediatrician, I'm doing that as a fellow member of a support group, I'm doing it as someone interviewing on a podcast or someone listening to me on a podcast, mm-hmm. that's that's my identity. Yeah. And I didn't really know that yeah. until I had this experience yeah. and started thinking about it. Oh, that's powerful. And I I hope there's a road to figuring that out without such a major loss. Right. And I think that's something else you'll teach people is is that look further, look deeper, because it's not just your like kind of surface roles of who you no. are. I think that's another message of your speaking in your podcast is that the things that really matter. Yeah. Um, so I love yeah, that. Yeah, just looking deep and looking and thinking who am like the core of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And then using that in the best way you can. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. So the last thing, that's one of my favorite questions. I don't know why, but it's just for people to talk about their favorite things. Like what might be getting you through the moment to moment these days? What does kind of offer you a bright spot? Um, it can be silly. It can be serious. It can be anything in between. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I do love music. I guess mm-hmm. that helps. Um, for and it really helps me a lot now. If for a while it actually didn't, yeah. um, only because it reminded me so much of Andy, because Andy loved music so much. Sure. But now it has it brings me kind of joy again. Mm-hmm. So just all sorts of different types of music. It yeah. doesn't have to be all the same. But oh, how good that that's coming back. Yes, yes. and that is nice to get that yeah. back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know the woman that I interviewed this last week. Her son was a jazz pianist, and she said, that's the one thing that hasn't come back because she can't listen to jazz music. And I said, well, I think you can still live a pretty good life and not listen to jazz music. (laughs) If that's your one thing you can't do, you're probably going to be doing okay. So anyway, it just made me think of that when you mentioned that. Absolutely. So anything I've missed, anything you want to say about Andy or your work or your podcast that I haven't highlighted? (sighs) I, I don't know. I mean, I think the big thing I really want to get across is just to help people try to move forward mm-hmm. and 
try to maybe look for resources locally or be able to meet people real people too because it's nice to be able to um do this electronically and it feels a little safer Mm -hmm. and it doesn't take as much strength Mm -hmm. um but if it can be the first step in trying to get out and be able to um meet other people to help heal i think that's better yeah for sure yes Mm -hmm. well i could not be more grateful for you to be here i just think it is the absolutely one of the gifts of my podcast that I get to talk with amazing people that are out in the world just like doing their own very different very different walks of life and it it just shows that people have their own specific gift and I say this a lot on this podcast but one of my very early guests said someone's waiting for you to do what you're meant to do someone out there is waiting Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of someone's were waiting for you to put start this podcast and they're just gonna like the benefits are just gonna be bananas so so. thank you thank you thank you (laughs) thank you so much These are the interactions that I absolutely live for. People always ask me why I like reading about or listening to life stories that include pain or struggle. And I think this conversation is a perfect example of why. I think people like Marcy that have experienced loss or struggle or pain know what is really important in life. They see others in ways that are more nuanced and clear and real. And for better or worse, it's often the really hard things that bring us together as humans. It's these things that remind us of that humanness. We don't focus on our individuality or differences or separateness. We just see people and we love those people. Marcy's story feels hopeful and I'm so grateful that she told her story, that she shared about Andy and that she delivered so many practical ways of how we can care better for each other and ourselves. Please go listen to her podcast and read her blog. I know you'll learn so much from it. If you want to connect with me about the podcast or my therapy practice, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Andrea Beklensko. You can also reach out to me through the Grand Rapids Specialty Therapy website. Okay, so go take the middle seat. You might find pain and struggle there, but you're also going to find an opportunity to see another person and love them well.